for this part of uh, Organic Matters, let's talk again a bit about our environment. I mean, I am a gardening show, but there's nothing more important in our gardening efforts than the environment itself, and we need to get a better grip on it. This current administration is working to complete a clean water regulation before a Supreme Court ruling that would complicate the government's ability to protect wetlands and other waterways. The Environmental Protection Agency's rule, which was just finalized in the last week or so, essentially reverts protections for millions of streams, marshes, and other bodies of water to levels that existed actually way back before even the Obama administration made major changes in 2015, leading to nearly a decade of political and legal disputes. Not a good thing for Obama to have done, folks. With the Supreme Court expected to rule next year in a major case that would reduce the government's authority to regulate wetlands, experts called on the current administration's move very strategic. Getting a rule on the books now gives the EPA a greater chance of locking in, at least for a while, a broad definition of which waterways qualify for federal protection under the Clean Water Act. And here we sort of go again with the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. If the Supreme Court goes first, then the agency can't finalize a rule that goes beyond it. By issuing a rule first, the government has more room to interpret the court decision when it comes. However, under the new rule, the EPA revived a definition of what constitutes waters of the United States. Describing the de definition as familiar and foundational to the decades of clean water progress. In a statement, the agency said the changes imposed by the Obama administration a subsequent reversal by the Trump administration and several legal battles in between had harmed communities and our nation's waterways. The new rule includes some changes, including provisions that clarify what bodies of water are excluded from regulation, such as certain agricultural lands. That's scary, folks. The rule also aims to simplify a test to determine whether a stream or wetland is subject to federal jurisdiction based on its distance from a tributary of a larger body of water. When it comes to pass, this new rule would put an end to the battles between environmental groups and farmers and ranchers, and of course, especially fossil fuel developers and real estate agents. Texas is really, really into that. Over the types of waterways that qualify for federal protection under the Clean Water Act. It's felt that they have found a middle ground that creates as much clarity as they could. And I am hopeful that this is the one time that it'll all stand the test of time. Way back when it happened, the Obama rule, that era, there were a number of Republicans that found it overly restrictive and onerous to businesses. Then Trump repealed it, imposed his own rule, which environmentalists just flat said was a giveaway to home builders, farmers, ranchers, and most of all, to the fossil fuel industry that doesn't even have to clean up after itself if that rule wasn't in place. And thank goodness, sometimes I do agree with the Supreme Court. <laughs> they stepped in in 2021 and a federal judge struck down the Trump rule, 
leaving the regulatory landscape back into the old ruling, which is what we're trying to do. We can't just let development, we can't just let fossil fuel uh, guide us. We can't just let land development guide us. Folks, we're, we're running out of lands that we need to protect our environment. We've got to be more careful about it. For years, we just ransacked whatever you want. You want to take the nicest wetland in Louisiana and turn it into 200 houses of a development? Nobody stopped you. Now look what it's done. The floods that come through that area are no longer in control because we have lost those wetlands and it devastated the city of New Orleans, for instance. There's two sides to every story. Yes, we need to be in development. We are a over 8 billion people now. But we also need to realize that we have kids and their kids and their kids' kids that need to, to have an environment and a place that's safe and comfortable and that can actually support, literally, the existence of 8 and in 11 years, it looks like, 9 billion people. I have a bit of a personal stake in this. I was raised in South Georgia, a place called Valdosta that is really a swamp. Mud Swamp is the one that I've lived literally on, between, uh, that feeds into the Okefenokee in that area. And I go back 30 years later, which is now almost 20 years ago again, but not hundreds, but thousands of acres of what were wetlands that helped to, to keep that environment there the way it was are now built up 10 feet or whatever they do 20 feet and they got housing developments and industry and everything on that land unfortunately draining back into the lowlands that still exist we can't keep doing that i don't have an answer i'm not a i try i try not to be political it is impossible now to talk anything from your own local garden to especially agriculture and especially above that fossil fuel development and not get involved in it. So when you hear organic matters and I'm supposed to be here to tell you 10 ways to plant a tomato, we are all more involved in what's going on around us than that now. And, and we need to get a grip and each of us do our share. Change the subject a little bit. There's currently, it looks like going to be a boom expected in the wind and solar uh, power systems in the next two or three years. Within three years, a surge of large-scale battery projects is expected to come online in a number of places, but we're listed. Texas and California are way up there on their power grids as developers seek to store electricity produced by the our state's sprawling wind and solar farms of which the last time I looked, folks, even though the Texas government's not really very pro-solar and wind, we were at one time, if we're still not, the largest producer of solar power in the United States. That's Texas I'm talking about. The Energy Department has estimated that over 21 gigawatts of storage capacity will plug into the United States power grids before the year 2026. That's more than two and a half the times of the amount now in operation. It's basically almost going to triple in that length of time. For instance, in Texas, eight gigawatts, I don't even know how to tell you how much energy that is, is expected to be online in Texas in the next three years. I went in and did some math for you so you don't have to. Eight gigawatts will run six million, listen to that number, Eight gigawatts will easily run six million homes. 
Folks, that's becoming a force in our energy system. And now think about this. The Energy Department estimates that we are going to add 21 gigawatts of storage. Now, this is storage capacity, folks, not just producing it, but putting it away so we can save it and use it. 21 gigawatts of storage capacity will be added to and plugged into the U.S. power grids between now and the year 2026. Of course, the old complaint used to be about solar and, and uh, wind. Well, what do we do? How do we store it? So the boom in battery development is coming from that as weather-dependent wind and solar energy becomes an increasingly large part of the entire U.S. power grid, requiring an alternate power source when the wind isn't blowing and, of course, the sun isn't shining. So now we're going to have eight, at least 31 gigawatts stored, and that's just the beginning of the project. Until now, as renewable energy has grown over the past decade, natural gas-powered turbines have shouldered a heck of a lot of the load. But now, as lithium-ion battery prices have come way down in recent years, and at the same time, natural gas prices have gone up, Power utilities are increasingly looking to large batteries to fill those gaps. Folks, what we're really seeing here is a technology starting to reach what the scientists call its inflection point. Costs are down, performances improve. There's more awareness of the quality and the quantities batteries can now provide. The boom coincides with growing concern about the reliability of the U.S. power grid Folks, I live in Texas. Texas failed that game big time in 2021. They were luckier this last cold spell we had. And incidentally, the governor, Abbott, blamed it, the 2021 failure on uh, our energy coming from solar and sun only to be told and figured out lately they helped save the problem. They didn't have the problem. As a matter of fact, what was the biggest single problem in Texas was the fact that we weren't able to move natural gas that source actually literally froze up. To quote Michael Weber, which is a well-known professor of energy at the University of Texas. Texas suffered a deadly blackout for days last year, well, that's actually 2021, after a winter storm caused power plants to cancel because natural gas wells froze. Batteries could theoretically have provided the power when generators go down uh, among other things. In case you don't know it, folks, in West Texas, the Panhandle, they actually produce far more electricity with solar and wind than they can use. So by installing these lithium power centers, we now will be able to store those at off-peak hours so when a catastrophe or even an area that needs electricity for another reason needs it, it's there waiting for them. Unfortunately, so far here in Texas, like in some way, we love monopolies in Texas. The market here is dominated by just two real startup companies. One is Broadreach Power out of Houston, which has 14 projects uh, totaling uh, almost three gigawatts. And there's an Austin-based Solar Pro developer that's got over four gigawatts uh, coming online in the next year or so. Many more battery projects are coming, folks, but we need to spread this out. We, we, we can't let the, the solar and wind producers become what the fossil fuel companies have, where two or three companies run the entire industry. We have got to keep this spread out so that at no one point are we all uh, 
having to deal with just one or two sources, especially when we have these extremes in weather, which everybody that I read about, everybody I've studied in my 20 years of following this, this is not abnormal, folks. These extremes are going to become what we call our normal, whether it's how long we're going to have a fire season, how severe the weather is, when the cold may be colder than ever, the hot hotter than ever, droughts in places that will even be drier, and things that people don't understand. Yes, there's going to be parts of the world and the country that are going to get wetter, not just drier. So all that's going to happen. We have to learn to deal with it. Anyway, as you know me, I'm pro tomorrow's energy. We need to get off of fossil fuel ASAP. Thanks for listening to Organic Matter.